0: We're going to begin with a prayer. God, thank you again for this morning and for the blessings uh, that you have showered upon us and the fact that we know that whatever happens in our lives, that you remain in control, that you remain our Lord and our Savior and our Redeemer, uh, and that despite the fact that there are times in our lives where we may not feel your presence, you never leave our sides. May we always uh, be... uh, cognizant of that fact. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Okay, we're going to continue on with this um, topic of reconciliation. And again, I'll remind you, I'll share with you, confess, that I have wrestled with this subject quite greatly uh, over what reconciliation is and how does it occur and does it need to occur should the relationship go back the way it was. How do these different things work? And so it's why we have these uh, signs again uh, this week. Uh, is because maybe you can inform me and educate me on what uh, reconciliation really is. And I continue uh, to offer a quite a bit of pushba- pushback on Dr. Smead's chapter uh, that's entitled "We Come Together." When he's talking about reconciliation and he he makes some pretty bold statements, some that I'm not sure that I entirely agree with. And so maybe you can agree with me or disagree with me uh, because, of course, you always have the right to be wrong. And so you're welcome to do that if you'd like. So let's go ahead. Uh, Again, we've talked about this. The forgiveness process begins with the fact that we're hurt. Uh, That's personal, it's deep, it's unfair. Uh, Then we hate, even though we don't want to hate or say we don't hate it, at least in a church building. Outside, we have these feelings. Sometimes they're aggressive and, um, you know, we want to paint the scarlet letter uh, on someone's blouse. Or maybe it's a little more passive where we just can't wish them well and we want to continue to have that conversation with them of how we would go back and change things and humiliate them in some ways. Uh, and then we get to the healing process. And after we uh, begin this process of forgiving, then comes the idea of reconciliation. Uh, and again, we'll talk a little bit more about why I have such a, a difficult uh, um, time with that. Okay, so let's. we're going to be looking, and I'm going to read, be reading a few quotes uh, out of Dr. Smead's book, uh, Forgive and Forget. Uh, this is chapter 4. Uh, don't worry, I'm not going in order. That doesn't mean that we still have Chapters 5 through 11 still left. Um, I'm bouncing around in his book. um, But this is one he calls We Come Together. Uh, And so, let us I don't remember if I asked this question, and if I did, uh, it's worth re-asking the question. And you give me your answer. Uh, Dr. Smead says this, In regards to the person who hurt you, the offender, they must truly understand the reality of what they did to hurt you. They need to know that the hurt went deep. In order for reconciliation to occur, Dr. Smead says, they must truly understand the reality of what they did to hurt you. They need to know that the hurt went deep. Is that how reconciliation has to occur? I did leave a maybe on there, and and I don't know, so we can... You, don't get, you didn't get that choice last week when you were um, casting your vote. But this one, uh, okay, I get a lot of, I disagree, maybe, 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 I disagree, I disagree. Okay, so um, uh, why, why would you disagree with that statement? Why do you think they don't need to know the hurt? Okay. Um, and then maybe in some ways they feel offended... Uh, and all of a sudden, they take on the role of the victim and say, "Hey, you know what? You misinterpreted what I said, and now you're attacking me. And so now they're they're making you out to be the bad person. Uh, some people we call them manipulators. Uh, sometimes you call them husbands or wives or whatever. Uh, but they kind of they change the change it around and make you feel like you're the one who's doing it. Okay." Um, People are uh, always surprised at how much their little faults can hurt other people. Do you agree with that? I think that's a very fair statement. In our own defense, when we hurt other people, oftentimes our response is, I, I didn't really mean to hurt you. It was, it was an accident, or, or you misunderstood what I said. And a lot of that happens. Miscommunication is probably uh, causes more arguments Uh, within marriages and within families and any types of relationship is the fact that we either don't uh, communicate or we miscommunicate uh, how we feel. Uh, That happens sometimes in in marriages as well. So I want to read this from page 33. It says, uh, you cannot expect them to agree with you about every little detail. No two people in the history of personal misunderstandings have ever remembered their painful experience in the same colors and the same sequences because no two people have experienced the same hurt in precisely the same way. So if you want, to, if you want total recall, blow for blow, insult for insult, hurt for hurt, you will never get what you need. But they must be truthful about what happened in the eye of the storm of your sad falling out. And you need to believe that they are truthful before you can let them all the way back into your life. What do we think about that statement? I know what I'm going to say. I'll say that, let me just, the point I really want to get to is this. You cannot, uh, let's see, Um, they must be truthful about what happened in the eye of the storm of your sad falling out. And you need to believe that they are truthful before you can let them all the way back into your life. Maybe. Maybe. Again, we're we're talking, uh, it's so vague, a lot of people are like, I I guess this is, I don't know, because there's so many different scenarios in which we can play out. The first part is one part that I really agree with. If you really think that you're going to sit down and you're going to be able to say, okay, this is how it happened, and you said this and you said that, it doesn't work that way. Our brains do not work that way. Um, I believe there's an old country western singer, I believe it was Willie Nelson, who would sing about those rose-colored glasses? Is that not Willie Nelson? <laughs> those rose-colored glasses. So I just kind of picture that. Okay, so whoever it was, somebody, some country guy with boots and a hat and a belt buckle the size of a hubcap, went on stage and sang about rose-colored glasses. Uh, and there's truth to the fact that we. Perception is not always indicative of reality. What we think we see is not always what actually happened. Uh, And that's how it is anytime you have two people uh, who have miscommunication. One is going to remember it or recall it one way. And they're going to view it through the lens in which things have happened in their life. And it's always we must be very careful about how We communicate with people, Um, and I'm really bad about this because um, I tend to be someone who likes to to joke and pick and laugh and have a, a good time. I grew up with two older brothers, and in my family, if you weren't making fun of someone, you didn't really love them. And so that's how we communicated with each other. We were boys. It's You remember that in junior high, a boy would walk up to you and he would hit you. And what you thought was, ow, he's a mean, horrible, terrible person. And what he meant was, I like you, but I don't know how to say it, so I'm just going to punch you. Uh, and that happens a lot of times. Uh, and so, It's important when when we're dealing and communicating with people that we have to take into account that there's experiences that that have happened in their lives that it it shapes what they hear you say, even though you're not really saying it. Uh, And so if you're going to try to go back and sit down Sally and say, Sally, okay, this is what happened, and here's what you did to me, in all likelihood, Sally's going to say, you know what, that's not really how it happened at all um but that's how we perceive it to be okay here's what okay does it involve me we don't have time for that we need to move on i'm really surprised you did yeah proverbs talks a little bit about that it says it's the fool who who says oh i was only joking uh and and sometimes uh, go ahead i'm sorry Yes, that they would say things that were uh, little slights or slams, things that they would say that were like, oh, that really is kind of hurtful. You, you, you did that to kind of jab at me. And, uh, and so we'll, we'll get to talk about some of those people in a few weeks to how, to how to forgive people who are hard to forgive. Now, let's listen to this one. I, I want you to tell me what you think about this one. Um, this is a crazy one. Uh, they, being the offender, must listen to you until they hear your claims and your complaints and your cries. At first, they will filter the message through the screen of their own desires and fears. They will want to reshape every little syllable you speak until it suits the message that they hear you speak. So you must make sure that they have listened long enough. And you must also listen to the response to make sure that they really did hear you. You must lure them into a response several times over. Seduce them after many repetitions until you can be sure that they are truly hearing you. And hearing your needs as you reveal them. This is the only way that you can know that you're being truthful. I mean, this is... These are some of the things that I struggle with. Again, he's earned his doctorate. He's smart. He has wonderful things in this book. But I don't know that I agree with the fact that you have to sit them down as if it's an interrogation and say, here's what really happened. Repeat to me what I just said to you. And if they don't get it right, syllable by syllable, you need to go back in. No, no, no. I want you to say this is what really happened. Those who hurt you, uh, let's see... uh, Um, Here's another statement he says, uh, and I don't know where I I underlined it here in this, but he he says this. He says, they must, uh, to be truthful with your feelings, they must feel the hurt that you feel. And he goes on to say this. They must hate themselves for what they did to you. Yeah. Some of them are not going to... Ideally, ideally... Um this is what should happen to us as Christians, and, and we're going to talk a little bit about this later, but blessed are those who mourn is Jesus's challenge. It's his call for those of us that come to recognize our sin and we despise the sin in our life and we mourn where it has brought us. And that brings us out of that sin into relationship with Him. But does that happen with your relationships with people on a regular basis that they say, oh man, I hate myself for what I did to you? Um, I don't think that should be the motivating factor. Um, so, I, I think most of us disagree with that. Um, they, need to, they must listen until they hear uh, your uh, complaints and cries. Uh, let's see, I want to read this one. Um, uh, they ought to be truthful about the future together. Um, you should not ask, oh, let me back up a sentence. They promise to be there for you in the future when you need them. And be there in a style that lives up to the kind of relationship that you have together. Uh, And then here's here's the comment that I want to focus on. You should not ask for a lot more. But you should ask for no less. They cannot offer you a guarantee. They cannot be depended on the way... They cannot be dependent on the way you might rely on a computer or a well-trained dog. They are ordinary, fallible human beings. They are not God. You lay a bet on them. You need to take a risk. But if you are truthful, they intend to keep their promise. And in their honest intentions, tilt the odds in their favor. Do you believe that when you try to reconcile with someone that you're placing a bet that they're not going to do it again. (laughs) There is a risk-reward that is involved. When you attempt to reconcile a relationship with someone, you are betting on that though they hurt you once, that they are not going to hurt you again. Uh, Now, let me preface that by saying, and he talks about this too, they're not a computer, they're not a well-trained dog, they're still going to make mistakes. But they have the intention of not hurting you again. Are there, are there people who you are not willing to make that bet with? After a while, you have to step back and say, you know what, this, this is not going to work out. Uh, Those who hurt you return with a promise that they will not hurt you again. And you need to believe that they intend to keep the promises that they make. Uh, What I want to talk to you uh, about for the next few minutes is boundaries. uh, And how those are important in our lives. Boundaries are very, very important. A couple nights ago uh, in our life group up here, we talked about what a basketball game might look like if there were no rules. What would that look like? It would be a free-for-all. I mean, there are so many boundaries that we have become so familiar with that you can't imagine watching a basketball game without them. The most simple ones might involve the big rectangle outline around the court, which, what happens if you step... Out of bounds, what happens then? You blow a whistle. And the other team gets the ball. Okay. If there's not those lines there, then you can just go out of bounds when you want to. You can run down the street with the ball, and it's not a big deal. Uh, dribbling is something that's a part of basketball. If you don't dribble, you there is traveling. And that will blow a whistle. Oh wait, the whistle uh, is in the mouth of the referee if you don't have rules there's no need for a referee why would you have one so let's just forget about that Uh, there's also the hoop and the ball who says that it has to be this orange ball that's you know 10 and a half inches in circumference why can't it be uh, excuse me in diameter why can't it um, be a golf ball or a beach ball Why does it have to be one ball? Why can't it be three or four? I mean, we could go on and on and talk about boundaries are healthy. Several years ago, I heard someone say, good fences make for great neighbors. Can anybody interpret that for me? (laughs) Privacy Privacy is nice. And there are places where people can go And there are places where they should not go. There have been friendships that have been torn apart when two people decide that they've been best friends their whole life and then they go off to college and they room together. And all of a sudden there is not this boundary that existed and all of a sudden you see that relationship deteriorate. The same can be said of family members who are very close and they decide to go into business together. All of a sudden, a boundary which once stood that says, work is here and you're here and I'm here and family's here, all of a sudden, some of those boundaries start to come down. And if you're not careful, you can watch that relationship go through a, a difficult time and it can affect. Uh, it doesn't happen for everybody. I've, I had several conversations with, with one of my friends who works with his family, and I asked him, how are things going with you and your family? I mean, you work with your brother and your father. You know, how do you keep your sanity? You know, is there times that you want to kill them? Is there times that they want to kill you? And, you know, yes, yes, we always, you know, keep an eye, an extra eye open for the, you know, coming our way. But there are healthy boundaries in which we need to create. When people have hurt us, it is important to create boundaries that let them know that what you did was not acceptable and I will not allow you to treat me that way. Okay, Forgiveness is not, you hurt me once, go ahead and just run me over again. I think it is a misinterpretation of Jesus' words when He says, If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. I don't think he's endorsing or condoning physical abuse. I don't think he's saying you need to keep on and allow yourself to get beat up day after day after day. I think we've taken that out of context if we try to counsel a battered wife and say, Go back to your husband because Jesus says just keep getting hit. Uh, And and there's a lot to be said for that. Boundaries are very healthy. Uh, It's important for us to have them. Um, As parents, uh, there are boundaries in which we set that we don't allow our kids to cross. That there are some things. Boundaries uh, protect us. They also protect other people as well. Uh, And it's important to have those in these types of relationships. say that again personalities okay give me an example personalities make a difference within those boundaries okay yes yes and it's important to identify which people that you recognize that you can uh, build a healthy relationship with and you can uh, renew it and in some cases it can be better Uh, for some that's not quite as easy um This makes um, church life much more difficult because oftentimes, we we talked about this several weeks ago, the people who can hurt you the most are the people who you're closest to. Uh, And a lot of times it can be those who you worship with, those who you share a pew with, those who you share communion with that you're close to. And if an argument or uh, an offense happens between two people in a, a church setting. This becomes difficult because all of a sudden now you're worshiping with a person who has hurt you or who who you have hurt, and it's it's harder to maintain those boundaries and let things slowly happen. And of course, that's the same case with a marriage. Uh, if you have if you I have a coworker who's hurt you, um, there are certain boundaries in which you can set up to help slowly build that relationship again. In a marriage, that's a lot harder because you live with that person and you sleep with that person or you sleep on the couch because you got kicked out of the bedroom. Um, so those types of things, that's a little bit more difficult. What I really, really want to talk about, and maybe if there's one thing um, that we can get, not just out of this class, but out of the whole 14 or 13 weeks we're going to spend talking about forgiveness, there's one thing I really, really want us to talk about. And that that is about what forgiveness really means between us and between God. What does it really, really mean? Uh, I've wrestled with how much uh, we are called to reconcile with our offenders. Do we forgive them? Yes. Do we reconcile with them? My response is, "I, I just don't know, depending on the circumstance. What I do know is this. We serve a God of reconciliation. What is the message of the cross? Is it about sin? No. Is it about suffering? No. Is it about sacrifice? No. Is the cross about humility? No. Is the cross about grace? No. Is the cross about forgiveness? No. Is the cross about love? Yes. Jesus did not die to forgive us. Jesus died to reconcile us. The purpose of the cross was to bring us back into relationship with our Creator. God didn't forgive us so that He would feel better. He didn't forgive us so that we would feel better. God forgave us so that we would come back to Him. Like saving a sheep, the shepherd doesn't liberate the lamb so that he will wander off again. He untangles the entrapped to take him home. That is the message of the cross. If the cross ends at your sins being forgiven, that is not what God intended. God chose to send His Son because we were trapped in sin... And in order for us to have a relationship with Him, we had to be freed from that sin. The end of the cross was not forgiveness. That, ladies, was the beginning. He freed us by taking our sins off of us and carrying them to the cross. But freedom is not what the cross is about. It's about going home to our Father, who from the very beginning desired a relationship with us. That's what forgiveness is really about. And I would love to believe that in all the hurts and hates and healings that we've gone through, that it has led us to reconciliation with all the people who we have offended and who have offended us. But I can't make that promise. Because as fallible human beings, sometimes we aren't willing to forgive, and other times we're not willing to accept forgiveness. God... Offered his forgiveness. And in doing so. He opened the door. For us to come home. That's what the cross is really about. The bumper sticker I have. For this morning is really quite simple. It just shows the cross. And these words. My arms are open." That's the message of the cross. That's what forgiveness means in our lives. And that is what God offers each one of us. And God understands that in between our lives, we have found ourselves hurting. We have found ourselves uh, wanting to forgive, but finding it difficult to do so. Will you pass that back. But the message of the cross is reconciliation, and forgiveness is something that we constantly have to work on. It is a, oftentimes a secret sin, and sometimes it's a sin that we're not even aware of. We. We don't realize how much it it bogs us down. Uh, Julia, um, several weeks ago when we were talking about uh, forgiveness, I had the stack of logs on there. And before you know it, you end up getting weighed down and you don't even realize it. And what we have to remember is that uh, if we don't forgive people, that it's just going to continue to drag us down, and it's going to hurt our relationship uh, with Jesus. Uh, we have just a few weeks uh, left of class, and, and I'm, I'm a little nervous about how we're going to get through it, but I'm also really excited about what we're going to discuss in the next few week, uh, weeks. Uh, I want to remind you that we're going to be off this next week uh, for the holidays Uh, And then we'll pick back up on November 27th. uh, And we're going to talk about forgiving people who are hard to forgive. And I want to leave you. You're going to have a couple weeks to think about this. But there are going to be some people that are going to be hard to forgive. Those um, who are monsters. uh, Those who continue to hurt us again. Forgiving ourselves is very difficult. And here's one I want you to really think about. Is it possible, is it necessary to forgive God? I want us to think about that because that brings up an interesting question. Has God ever done anything wrong that deserves our forgiveness? Uh, And how do we address those times when um, things happen to us? And we know that God could have intervened, and He chose not to. And does that lead us to a crisis of forgiveness? Because He didn't act the way we thought He should. And so that brings up an interesting discussion that I'm really looking forward to. And then we're going to have what forgiveness is not on December the 4th and 11th. Is that our last class in here? It's going to be our last class I'm glad glad we got that right because I was going to be sweating it if we didn't have that one. And we're going to end with that one. Uh, Why me and now what? Um, Why does this happen to me? And then what can we do with all the stuff that we've talked about? So I appreciate your time in this class over the last uh, several uh, weeks. I guess it's been a couple months now. And I look forward to closing out this study in just a few more weeks. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you so much for the forgiveness that you offer us and how it, it makes us free. Uh, but Lord, I pray that as, as freed uh, people, that we don't simply go about our ways forgetting uh, the one who rescued us and delivered us. And so Lord, uh, you sent your son uh, not simply to take us out of that, that bush in which we were uh, tangled in, but you call us, you carry us, you bring us home. And so, Lord, I, I pray that, that we take a, a very close look at our lives and our relationship relationships with one another. And ultimately, our relationship with you. Uh, and continue to rediscover a God who opens up his arms and welcomes back his children. We love you and we praise you. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.